Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow listeners, and welcome to episode 21 of Can I Pick Your Brain? Today, I'm going to be picking the brain of Tema Frank. In 2001, Tema founded one of the world's first remote usability testing companies called Web Mystery Shoppers. In 2012, she launched Frank Reaction, helping companies improve their customer experience through impeccable customer service. Her clients have ranged from large corporate banks and media companies to small family businesses. She is also a best-selling author and fellow podcaster. Tema, welcome to the show, and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Right. Well, we're going to be talking about improving customer experience and how it can help companies massively increase their profits. But before we do, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your background and what it was like growing up? (laughs) Well, my background is uh, kind of varied. I grew up in a very lovely neighborhood in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, which is pretty far north. So Mm -hmm. I got accustomed to a lot of snow and cold. (laughs) I'm from London, by the way, so I'm very familiar with the cold, uh, not so much snow. Yeah, London, it's more a dreary, wet cold. Here, at least, it's yeah. sunny, but I, as a kid, I never associated sunshine and warmth because the really bitterly cold days, the minus 40 days, those are the sunny ones. It's too cold to snow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, it's better. I think it's better to have real snow than London. London snow, it's not real snow. It's just annoying snow. It's just <laughs> slushy yeah. and dirty. Whereas in Canada, it's like fluffy. You can actually do things with the snow. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that's me. But I've had a career that sort of has spanned all sorts of different things. So I worked on Parliament Hill for a while with members of Parliament. And so my my first grounding, I guess, was in business government relations and in dealing with the public, with with constituents of members of Parliament. Then I worked in the banking industry for a while. And that was really, when I think about what led me to write this book, that was probably part of what started it, because I saw these enormous disconnects between the way things, what was happening in the back end and with management versus what was going on on the front line in the branches. And that really got me thinking about customer experience and the challenges of delivering consistently good customer experience, because we right. we prided ourselves on you know, the greatest customer service. And we had fantastic frontline staff. But if the back office keeps sending out the wrong documents, mm-hmm. you're, there's <laughs> so many times your great staff can say sorry before customers say, well, you know, I like you, but I'm out of here. Right. So, and then so that was sort of stage one, stage two. I wrote a book called Canada's Best Employers for Women, which got me much more interested in the human resources side and employee engagement, which, of course, is a key element of delivering great customer experience because unhappy employees don't give good customer service. This might be an awkward question, but why only women? The reason is, and I'll tell you, I'm glad you asked that, because what I discovered is the best for women are fantastic for men, too, because they treat all employees as humans and try and maximize their human potential. Unfortunately, there were many companies where they were great for men, but the reality was if you were a woman, your chances of getting anywhere in the company were severely limited, that there was outright right. discrimination. That's- unless you unless you basically got with the boss. Well, 
I'm saying like that. That can be a short-term solution. <laughs> it's a little on the risky side. I'm a, I'm a little blunt. I'm, I'm, I'm just <laughs> Well, no, you phrased it fairly tactfully. And, uh, yeah, I did. My British accent as well, I get away with it. Absolutely. Well, and I um, have one elderly boss who tried to get away with that, but uh, I fig- no, I'd no. rather switch jobs. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, those were the... Wow. And then the next stage you mentioned in the intro was Web Mystery Shoppers. And and really what I was trying to do there, because that was very early days for e-commerce. And I was trying really to get the IT people and the marketing people on the same page. Because in those days, especially the e-commerce platforms were under the control of one or the other of those departments, and they really didn't get along. And can you just for a second, yeah. just so because our listeners might be completely confused, what what was Web Mystery Shop? As you started it in 2001. Can you explain exactly what it did and and obviously how you came up with the idea for starting it? Absolutely. So Web Mystery Shoppers, what we would do is we would send anywhere from 30 to two or 300 people who were a demographic match for my client's target market. We'd send them to the client's website and they would try to do some stuff there and report every step of the way about what they were experiencing. So where they were hitting barriers, what was frustrating them, when they'd be out of there if we hadn't been paying them to do a test. And then we would also test the other elements of the company's customer service. So we would call their call center and find out, do they even have a clue what the company's saying on the website? And often they didn't. <laughs> we sometimes right. would go and check out their branches or stores. I say branches because did a lot of work with banks. They, they kind of mm-hmm. got the whole e-commerce thing before a lot of retailers did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, the idea for it, as I say, came from the fact that Well, you know, I tell this story that I was big pregnant, living in the downtown of a big city at that point in Toronto, didn't have a car, had two, well, a baby and a toddler, needed more diapers. It was a snowy winter day. And I thought, why can't I just order these online? And and I couldn't in those days. And that struck me as absolutely ridiculous. So that's really what led me to try and figure out a better way. Why didn't Why didn't you start a diaper online diaper company? <laughs> because there was a lot to it more than diapers, right? I mean, that was what spurred me. But I figured I should be able to buy whatever the heck I wanted online. If I could right. go to the the store and buy it, why couldn't I have it delivered to me? It's interesting because um, I, I stumbled upon some of these websites where you pay for them to go on the website, do a live sort of, you know rummage around and see what's wrong with it and then they give you a report Mm -hmm. those are really cool how come you didn't in other words i haven't seen web mystery shoppers around did you close that business down i mean what happened with it yeah what happened is i was a little bit early in the market so and i'm not a natural salesperson so i always had a good client on the go so bank of america royal bank of canada some government departments but i never had enough of them to justify when in 2008, the software needed an overhaul. And I was looking at a huge bill that uh, particularly then when most of my clients were in the US, the American economy had tanked, and I just Mm. couldn't justify the expense. So at that point, I made what in some ways was the biggest mistake of my life because and the mistake wasn't so much winding up web mystery shoppers, which still kind of exists, but I don't really push it anymore. But what I the big mistake was I had a database of 75,000 people globally and I was feeling like such a failure because I had not really managed to make this thing thrive that instead of figuring out some way I could keep this 
active, engaged 75,000 people database. I just sent them an all an, an email saying, you know, I'm really sorry I couldn't make this work for you. Have a great life. Oh, <laughs> I know it really hurts. Even just talking oh, about it hurts. Dang, that that's wow. Yeah, mm. yeah. And you you couldn't get that you know them back in terms of no. But the time, by the time I realized what a mistake I'd made, it was already like three years later, and people's email addresses, particularly yeah. then, changed so much that right. I would have had such a huge spam rate. It, yeah, and your your title could have been, remember I told you to have a good life? Yeah. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm back. Wow. Yeah. Do, do, so talking about customer service, I mean, do you think customer service has increased or, or decreased over time? Well, it's gone through waves. So I would say, you know, back years ago when people went to little local stores and were known by their vendors, it was arguably better. Then we went through an explosion of shopping malls where on the plus side, you had a lot more choice. But on the negative side, customers really weren't considered primary. It was really all about the business, not about the customer. And then now, because of the internet, there is tremendous pressure on companies to improve their customer service. And I think, in fact, it is probably better than it was a decade ago. But when you look at customer experience surveys, customers are ranking it more negatively. And I I think that's because of what I call the Amazon effect, which is Amazon has set such a high standard for what people expect now. Yeah. And it's very difficult for companies to match that, let alone beat it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll give you one example. Today, I stumbled upon a company that does transcription. Mm-hmm. So, for example, my podcasts, one of, the, one of the ways that I want to leverage the episodes is to be able to have a transcription written out so that I can, you know, publish it for people who prefer to read yep. rather than listen. And, you know, this company, I, I'm going to put it in my show notes because I can't remember their name, but it will be a link in the show notes. I went on the website. I literally uploaded one episode just to test them out. Mm-hmm. Okay. It cost a dollar a minute, which is, I think, very competitive. Yep. I did not need to call anyone up. I didn't need to do anything within literally a couple of minutes. I had given them my PayPal payment and it was like a 15, 15 minute episode. I did a solo episode. So it was $15 PayPal and away you go. Now that was this morning and about an hour ago. So we're talking a number of, just a number of hours. Boom. I get an email. Here it is. Wow. Transcript. And was it well That's done? Incredible. Was it well? well I, I haven't. Che- okay. That's a good question. I haven't checked it. I, I'm hoping it will be. If uh, I know a great transcriptionist because I have mine transcribed. So I can tell you after. <laughs> okay, fine. But the bottom line is, is that that's what's happening now. Yes. I mean, we, people are able to just go online and within minutes get things done. And that's what we, I guess that's what people are competing against. Yeah. And you've got people like Zappos as well, who, mm-hmm. I mean, they're the leaders in this type of thing. But I think it also depends on, on the culture. Like I'm, I moved to Israel about uh, seven months ago and I had a huge culture shock because, <laughs> you know. So I've heard uh, from people who visited there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I lived in California for two years. Let me tell you my experience in California. I, I remember my first day. I'm from London. So London, the, the customer experience is, is, let's just say it's not great. Okay. I mean, compared to Israel, it's probably like, you know, you're, you're like a king, but compared to California, you're free. I went in, I went into, where was it? I think it was uh, Trader Joe's. Yeah. Okay. All I wanted to do was buy some, some spaghetti, some pasta. So I walk in there and the minute I walk in, I get some guy walking up to me going, good morning, sir. How can we help? And I was like, whoa, <laughs> what the heck is this guy? 
like, who is he? This, you know? And I'm like, I'm just looking for some pasta. Well, follow me then. Come over here. Let me show you which type we have. And I was like, oh my God. Wow. It's just freaking pasta for goodness sake. I mean, you know, in, in England, I mean, in Israel, you could say, where's the pasta? They're like, I don't know. Somewhere down there. <laughs> it's like, go get it. I don't know. Yep. Go find it. So, you know, I, I mean, another experience I had was, well, I was banking with Wells Fargo. And I'm, I'm serious. You walk in there and it's just you do not line up. There is no lines. Mm-hmm. You just get served on the spot. I mean, it's just I mean, my most recent experience was they had a drive through. So I didn't even have to get out of my car. I just <laughs> pulled down my window and it's like, here you go. Here's my uh, here's my money. Here's a receipt. Ba- you know, bye bye. I don't even need to get out of my car here. Here in Israel, you know, take a ticket and wait an hour. But <laughs> wow. yeah, it's crazy. What can businesses, I guess, people listening to this, you know, practically speaking, what can we do? What can businesses do today in today's world to improve their their customer experience? Well, I would say it starts with talking to your customers about what they are experiencing. So, and I'm not just talking about sending them a survey or, you know, having a staff member at the counter pleading with them to give them a 10 out of 10 on the post-transaction survey. Hmm. Really getting out there, well, first of all, if you have, say, a retail operation, just go into the store for a while and if you don't work in the store itself and watch what's going on. Watch how the staff are interacting with the customers. If you can do the whole undercover boss thing, do that. Go Mm. pretend to be a customer. If you can't do that because you're too well-known, you can hire people. I mean, this comes back to the mystery shopping thing to give you feedback. But honestly, often you can just go and talk to your customers and say, look, you know, we want to make sure that this is really working well for people. And I'd really like to get your advice on what we can do that would be better. Mm. And what would you say is like the number one mistake that companies make? Like, you know, with customers service? Uh, The number one mistake, honestly, is probably inconsistency. So, you know, you might get well served one day and badly served another. And so unfortunately, what will stick in the customer's mind is the bad service. So also often it comes down to inconsistencies in how things are handled in the back end. And that's why in, in my book, People Shock, I talk about the three P's of promise, people and process. Mm-hmm. So promise, you've got to know what it is your organization is trying to do and why. Uh, the people refers to both the people inside and outside your organization. And the area where a lot of people fall down is on the process side. So you hear these CEOs saying, yeah, we're going to have the best customer service and we really care and our customers are king. But then they don't look at what do we need to change internally to actually make that happen? So, you know, as I said at the outset, if you've got great frontline staff, but you don't have your act together internally, you're not delivering a good customer service. Right, right. And, you know, I I run a call answering service in the UK and a virtual office business. And I'll be honest with you, some clients have been miserable no matter what, no matter what we did for them, no matter what we do, they just complain and complain. In fact, I've, I've literally had to fire certain clients. I've had to get on the phone and say, listen, Mr. X, you know, we've got, you know, there's a great telephone answering service, you know, they're, they're they're wonderful. You should probably try them out. You know, (laughs) seriously, what, what would you say about these types of clients? I mean, I mean, there are, there are some clients who really just, are more hassle than they're worth. And when that comes, you've got to, as you say, you can fire them, do it nicely. If you do know of another company that you don't particularly like, feel free to pass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I guess it's like, where do, where do you draw the line between, you know, giving great customer service and becoming a schmutter, which by the way, in Yiddish is a dirty towel. Right. For every company, you've got to draw your own line. 
I would say go as far as you can to accommodating customers who will help you earn a profit either through themselves or through those they'll recommend. Mm -hmm. By and large, even though the customer is not always right, you want to try and find a way to satisfy them as long as it's not going to drag your company into bankruptcy. However, there there are times where it's just not a good fit. And that's often the way to position it with with clients is just to say, look, you know, it's clear we're, we're not a good fit for you. We're not able to satisfy what you're looking for. And so mm. thanks, but, uh, you know, it would probably be best if we part ways. Yeah, it's interesting because people are always, you know, wondering in terms of when they're growing their business, you know, what the ROI is. So, for example, if they go into uh, social media marketing or, you know, whatever whatever they're investing in market research, what would you say is the ROI of investing in, in customer experience and in improving customer experience? The ROI is fantastic because what improving customer experience does for you is a number of things. One is you will get increased business from the people who are already customers because they enjoy dealing with you. You will get referrals as a result of those people spreading the word. And now, of course, in the internet era, they will be spreading it not just in person, but magnifying that effect globally through social media. On the flip side of that, if you serve them badly, that's also going to get magnified. So there's a right. huge downside to not delivering good customer service and customer experience. But quite apart from that, there are other issues like the cost of turnover. As I said, you can't deliver great customer service for long if you have unhappy staff. So you've got to look at, okay, how can we have a better environment for the people who work here? How can And part of what creates great customer experience is often giving staff a little more empowerment to make right. decisions, to use their full brain instead of just being robots. If you do right. that, then you're going to dramatically lower your costs of turnover, the costs of hiring new people, training new people. You'll also... By looking at your processes and streamlining and improving them, you'll be cutting costs because you'll find faster, more efficient, more effective ways to do things. So there are all these reasons that just pile up on top of one another. I'm glad you mentioned about um, staff because, you know, in, in our company, we strongly believe in the idea that, you know, happy staff leads to happy clients, which leads to a happy bank balance. Yep. For example, I mean, all of our receptionists, they get free gym membership. They receive weekly fruit baskets. We even get a, a masseuse to come in once a month wow. to give each receptionist a massage. I know it's crazy, <laughs> but. You know, apart from employees and customers, what other types of people do you think, you know, we should be focusing on for it to, to become more successful in business? That is an excellent question because often people do forget about some of the other influencers. So there are two particularly big ones. One is suppliers. So if you form a good relationship with your suppliers, there are a number of good things that can happen. One is they may have ideas on how you could actually interact with them more smoothly, which would make it possible for you to get the supplies you need and deliver things to your customers faster, cheaper. You may also actually have suggestions for them on how they could do things in ways that help them and in the end, of course, also help you. So supplier relationships are very important. And really, you want to form a kind of a partnership with them rather than just trying to bargain them down on price. And a great mm. example there is Toyota is famous for that, where they they do demand good prices, but they actually have experts who will work with their suppliers to help the suppliers figure out how they can streamline their operations and make them more effective. So it's a win-win. Mm. 
Another one is if you're not the one who sells to the ultimate customer, working with your distributors or your franchisees or your resellers, those relationships are also hugely important because they're the ones who actually have that final touch with the ultimate customer. So you want to make sure that what they're delivering is consistent with your values and with what your organization represents. So, you know, when McDonald's is advertising globally and then somebody goes into a McDonald's franchisee and has a really bad experience, Mm -hmm. that reflects on McDonald's. People don't think about the fact that, well, that's actually a bad franchise operator. They think McDonald's is no good, right? Right. So you have to have good relationships with distributors and, and franchisees. Beyond that, there are some that, and again, a lot of this stuff people don't think of in terms of customer experience, but it really does all relate. Your relationships with your funders, your lenders, your investors, mm-hmm. those are all important too. And and particularly so with investors, because one of the challenges that I think a lot of companies have, and the reason often large companies don't offer great customer experience, is that to get to the point of offering great customer experience, if you haven't previously, takes a lot of investment and time. And so you need to have a good enough relationship with the investors that you can persuade them, okay, this is going to take more than one quarter before you see the results, but it's worth investing in. Mm. You know, you, yeah, right. Now I was going to say it's, that's it's very interesting, but you missed one relationship that I think is probably the most important of all of them. And that's the relationship with my wife. <laughs> but I don't have a good relationship with her. I don't go to work. You know, I, I don't get a good day. <laughs> I don't get a good day's work if I'm in a bad uh, situation with that. You know, in today's world with online review sites, it's easy to get feedback from customers, right? But the only problem is, is I feel that companies are scared they may get negative reviews. Yeah. What do you think of that? They may well. They probably will. But they will. You know, there are a couple of things. And this, again, comes back to the relationship. So one of the things that I tell companies is you need to get involved in the social media discourse and the online discourse as early as you possibly can in a in a neutral way before people are saying anything particularly negative or positive about you. You want to get out there and start forming relationships. And if you do that, then when the time comes that somebody says something negative or when something bad happens, you'll have a bunch of people who will jump to your defense. So, you know, I'll I'll give you an example of that. When I started Web Mystery Shoppers and I built that database of 75,000 people by really going on forums where people who did mystery shopping in stores hung out and talked about it. So, you know, my staff and I, we would go on there and we just joined in the conversation about mystery shopping and some of their experiences. Now, the nature of the business I had there was that I always, at any given time, I had to have way more people in my database than I could offer a job to at any moment because I needed to make sure I could find people who were the right match for that client. And so, and there are a lot of scams in mystery shopping. So if people hadn't heard from my company in a while, it was natural to think, "Uh oh, it's another scam. And what would happen is because I built good relationships and a trusted relationship with the people in those forums, anytime anyone came on and said, ah, it's just another scam, I would have a whole bunch of people there who'd say, no, no, it's not. They're legit. They're real. They're ethical. So you can you can prevent a lot of problems by being a little proactive. Right. That said, if something does blow up, the biggest, most important thing is apologize quickly, publicly. And openly. Don't try and right. hide. Because if you try and hide, you're just going to make it worse. And then the other thing is you want to try to 
gently get the conversation offline. So if somebody's had a bad experience and they're blasting about it, you immediately go online and say, look, I'm really sorry to hear about this. Can we connect offline? And you give them a bunch of options so they can choose how, so we can figure out how to resolve this for you. So you want to try and get it offline. If people continue to insist on bitching at you, sorry, shouldn't have said that. No, <laughs> Don't want you to have to change that clean rating for iTunes. <laughs> anyway, uh, but if people continue to complain, you ultimately just, you let it go. And if you've developed solid enough relationships with people so that they trust you and, and think highly of you, you don't have to engage. So I'd engage a couple of times and then you just say, look, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that we don't seem to be able to, to satisfy you. We'd be happy to talk to you offline anytime you'd like, but there's really nothing more to be said. And, you know, I had that experience just the other day. It was, you, you know, you're getting famous when you start having haters, right? <laughs> yeah, you got to have haters, right? Is it Jay Bear that said, uh, talks yeah, about hug, hug, your haters. hug your haters? Yeah, exactly. So it's like, it's like, uh, it's like hugging my mother-in-law. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for that. I think so. Especially if she listens to the show or if your wife does. I, I, I love, I love my mother-in-law. Honestly, I really do. Yeah. <laughs> when she's about a hundred thousand miles away. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so no, I mean, you know, I had that the other day where this guy was accusing me of being a spammer and I said, look, I, I don't know where you're getting. Oh, I hate that word. Oh ah, man. So do I. That's like, that's the worst word you can call someone. I mean, you can call me a pig, but don't call me a spammer. Exactly. Oh. So, so I just, you know, I, I tried a couple of times first. I said, what is it that you're concerned about? And then he started attacking my staff and just getting really rude. And I said, you know, I'm I'm really sorry that to have upset you. I don't think that we've done anything that could be called spam. Anyone I've been in business a long time. Anyone who's ever dealt with us has been very positive. So I'm sorry that you feel that way. But there's really nothing more to add. And he shut up. It ended it. Wow. And what about winning back a company, uh, sorry, not a company, a customer, or it could be a company, who left because they weren't happy with the service? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And there are a lot of things you can do there. The biggest one is to approach the customers who left, if you can, if you have records and ways to track them down, and say, look, we realize that we really messed up in the past. We're looking at how we can improve that and change things going forward. Would you be willing to give us some advice? And it's amazing because most people who were unhappy with you actually want you to do better. They really don't want you to be a bad company. And so most people are quite willing if you come to them and say, look, you know, we know we screwed up. How can you help us be better? Give us advice. Most people will be very positive about that kind of approach. Right. And you know what's interesting is is nowadays companies don't have any excuses for, you know, for for not knowing what they can't, you know, what their customers think of them because we've got, you know, online surveys that Within minutes, you could just send out an online survey to all of your customers asking them what they think about your service. But the problem is, is, and I think a lot of people would agree with me here, is that many people aren't bothered to fill out a survey. I mean, yep. you know, people are they're, they're too busy posting pictures of their cat <laughs> dancing on Facebook, you know. Yep. What, do you, what would you suggest to get a better response rate in, in today's busy world? Well, again, I think that a lot of it does depend on the type of business. And for sure, there's survey burnout. I used to always fill those in and I rarely do now. And so what happens is those who do tend to be a bit of a skew. They're not your typical customer. (laughs) So again, I would say it comes down to using different approaches, such as talking to people directly, because it's a lot harder for them to say no face to face. Um, And even as much as I hate 
being interrupted by phone calls, sometimes a phone call will work. If you just say, you know, we, we really are trying to understand what's going on and would you be willing to give me a few minutes of your time? And sometimes you offer an incentive for that. Often doing reaching out to company to individuals in somewhat unusual ways can catch their attention. So if you sell stuff online, sending a handwritten note with a question in it may get you a higher response than sending just a standard online survey. Right. So so doing that sort of thing can also really help. And then fundamentally, if you're large enough that people are talking about your organization online, go see what's going on in the conversation out there. Find out what right. people are saying about you when they don't know you're watching. Right. Or you could just sort of make up a name and go in there and just ask about your company without them knowing that you're actually I, the CEO of the company. I would not recommend that. Uh, okay. I think ethically there are questions about doing that. Right. Yeah. So I, I would be reluctant to do that because you may well get caught as well. And wow. that's just not going to look good. Right. <laughs> that's going to look really bad. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, the best way to scale a business, I think, nowadays organically without spending any money on marketing is to get referrals from existing customers. But it's it's obviously it's hard to motivate people to go out of their way and refer business just like it is, you know, filling out the surveys. What would you say to people listening to who want to get more referrals? How would you recommend that they can get a higher referral rate? Well, again, that depends what kind of business. There are things you can do, for instance, by offering some form of reward to the person making the referral as well as to the new customer. I mean, that's how Dropbox grew so successful very quickly is they gave you two gigabytes of free data storage. But they also said, if you recommend somebody who then signs up with us and it was a free sign up, so it was kind of a no brainer. They they get two gigs, but you get another two gigs. So you both had incentive. I was just interviewing a, a bank here where they realized that it takes them about $500 to attract a new client. But it's worth way more than that because people don't change banks very often. And they realized if we just offer that $500 directly to new clients, our existing clients are going to be irritated because they're not getting that kind of special treatment. And Mm. so what they did is they split that $500 and they said to their existing clients, if you refer a new client to us, you and they will both get a bonus. And the total came to the five hundred dollars. That's very smart. Yeah. Yeah. So that can really help. Yeah. I get a lot of people asking how they can get better conversion rate on the website coming <laughs> when people are coming to their website. So in your experience, what would you say are the major factors that increase the amount of conversions on a website? Being really clear about what you do <laughs> and how you're different from others. It's right. amazing how many companies don't do that. They'll use a bunch of jargon. They'll use stock photography on their homepage. And they sound just like every other vendor in their field. You want to ideally be a little more personal, a little different. You want to make it clear to people right up front, right from the homepage, what's your unique selling proposition? Why should they deal with you instead of somebody else? Hmm. That helps having social proof, so testimonials or other things that reassure them that what you do is legit. And then big thing is just making it as easy as possible for people to contact you as well with any questions. So try to answer as much as you can proactively on the website, because a lot of people don't want to contact you right away. They want to do most of the research themselves first. So make sure they can get those basic questions all answered. But I tell companies, you know, have your phone number and your email address really prominent throughout that website. Don't make them have to hunt for it. 
Right. So basically calls to action just as yeah. much as you can. Yeah. Very cool. You mentioned before that you've got a new book coming out titled People Shock, The Path to Profits When Customers Rule. Yep. What, what do you mean when customers rule? Well, I think we are in an era now. This comes back to my reference earlier to the Amazon effect. We are in an era where the balance of power has shifted dramatically from sellers to purchasers. Mm-hmm. That we have so many more options for how and where we can buy things now that there's much less power in the hands of those who do the selling and much more in the hands of customers. We're also at an era where customers can really help or hurt your reputation quickly and easily, as we've already discussed. So I believe we are in an era now where the control is with the customers. And if you do not get the customer experience right consistently, you will not profit. In fact, your company will disappear. So for our listeners that want to grab a copy of that book, when is it going to be available? It should be available in late May. But in the meantime, if you go to peopleshock.com, just spelled the way it sounds, you can download the beginning of the book and you can sign up on a list and get sort of free extra materials that I'll be releasing over the coming weeks. And you will be the first to know when it is available for sale. Very cool. I'll put that link in my in the show notes. Thank you. So for those listening, you can just go and click on the link. Also, Tema, what's the best way for my listeners to get in touch with you? Uh, that's very easy to do. They can email me directly. It's temazinmarketinga at frankreactions.com. Or they can reach me on Twitter. It's just at Tema Frank or on LinkedIn. And there's also a Frank Reactions Facebook page. Amazing. And again, those will all be in the show notes. Tema, this has been an incredibly important discussion, and I hope my listeners have gained as much as I have. Thank you so much for letting me pick your brain, and thank you to all my fellow listeners for tuning in. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.